Well, a podcast listener asked, Dan, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be satisfied? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Have you ever asked yourself that? You know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be satisfied? You know, a lot of times people have jobs, respectable jobs that provide a reasonable income. Yet there's that, what we call that divine discontent or that existential angst. You know, you just think, man, there's something around the corner. And it's not just the grass is greener and the other side of the fence kind of phenomenon. There really is that sense that I'm not sure this is it. Well, we're going to talk about that and, and a whole lot more. Uh, I've had the privilege over the years of seeing a whole lot of people who had respectable positions, including physicians, attorneys, dentists, pastors, people like that, who from the outside, people would say, oh, you're doing great. And yet those people are saying, I don't think this is it. You know, this, there's got to be more than this. So we'll talk about that and more. Here's some other questions we got. It began in elementary school. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Now I'm 50 and I still don't know. How about this, Dan? I have an IT certification, but it's been five months now and I've only clinched one interview that didn't lead to an offer. Okay, I've got a quotation here that comes from St. Augustine about happiness. Indeed, man wishes to be happy even when he so lives as to make happiness impossible. Now, there's maybe a clue as to how we be satisfied or not. Well, hey, we got a resource for you. And I got a free masterclass I want to tell you about here. And we'll go right into some good news and the questions. Resource today, based on what we're going to be talking about, people looking, you know, there's got to be more than this. I want to lead you to a resource called Acres of Diamonds. It's that classic little story about a guy who sold his little farm, went looking for riches, and ultimately, in despair, didn't find anything. He died. The guy who bought his little farm found diamonds right there on that little farm that the guy gave up quickly because he thought surely the answer to his happiness was somewhere else far away. Well, we see that happen a lot. But check this out. Just go to 48days.com slash acres, and we want to give you that classic little story. It might have a, you might have a light bulb moment in going through that and reading that, realizing maybe if you just looked at where you are a little more creatively, it would provide you everything that you want rather than thinking, no, you just have to leave, go on to the next thing. So we'll talk about both sides of that, both sides of that coin. Well, we got a free masterclass coming up. This is going to be on Thursday, March the 12th at both one o'clock and seven o'clock. You choose the time that fits free class. This is one of those that we get more response to than anything. And I find myself doing this at the request of organizations where I speak, going to be speaking at um, MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University here in a couple of weeks. And we're going to be using this topic, talking to college kids And this is the topic, how to find your sweet spot, the place where talent, passion, and money meet for ultimate success. 
It's that three-legged stool. And you know what happens if you have a two-legged stool? It falls over every time. You got to have all three, talent, passion, and money. So again, that's going to be March 12th, 1 o'clock or 7 o'clock. You can just go to 48days.com slash webinar, and you'll find the link there. Again, 48days.com webinar, you'll find the link there. Well, let's look at a couple of good news items here. This just got my curiosity. I'm not sure where to go with this, not even sure how good news it is, but I want you to think through it with me. More libraries are doing away with overdue fines. Mark Twain once described the public library as the most enduring of memorials, a free center of intellectual and educational power accessible to old and young alike. Now, libraries today are seeking to keep it that way, and a lot of them are doing away with fines. They know that when somebody has fines, they probably are never going to come back again. The books are never going to come back. So there's all kind of creative programs out there. I'm not sure what this really means. Should there be no accountability for taking a book and not bringing it back? You know, is that, should we just open the door to people can take books and if they just keep them, there's really no, no back end to that. They just keep them. Well, we don't want that. How do you create accountability in a system like that? Now, surely you want it just to be honor and integrity, but if that's not working, how do you do that? I don't know, but it's one of those institutions that's being challenged. I mean, I can't not remember the last time. Well, I do remember the last time I was in a library. It's kind of a funny story, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it. But Joanne was having an art show along with some other artists in our local library here in Franklin, Tennessee. So I wasn't there to get a book. I was there to support my wife and her art show. But while the art show was going on, you know, it's a long extended time. I wandered around, went over in the book section. And of course, being an author, went to the business section, business and career, and looked for 48 Days to the Work You Love. Well, there was none there. I thought, well, that's interesting. So I went to the computer and searched for 48 Days to the Work You Love. And in fact, there were fi- there were five copies, all currently checked out with a wait list of 18 people. I went up to the counter and I said, ma'am, I happen to be an author titled the book is 48 days to the work left. She said, Oh yeah. I said, well, there are five copies that are checked out with a waste wait list. I said, why don't I go out to my car and I'll just get three copies. I'll bring them in here and leave them with you. Be happy to do that. Well, she looked kind of confused and she called another librarian over. They talked a little bit and said, we don't have any way to do that. I said, what do you mean? I'm just going to give them to you. Put them, I don't care you know, what you do. Just put them on the shelves. So people, well, no, there's no way to integrate them into our system. I said, really? No way to integrate them into your system. If I just give you the books to help, the pe- help out the people who are, are waiting for them. No, there's no way. Here's what they said. Our head librarian is on vacation for the next two weeks. If you want to contact her, you know, you might see what could be done. That was it. That was the solution. Now, um, I'm not particularly impressed with that kind of creativity. And I simply dropped the idea, went back to my wife's art show, never went back again, never followed out. Yeah, that that's what we get with institutions that don't know how to change, don't know how to flex, don't know how to be fluid in moving forward with creative ideas. Well, enough on that. Golly. So I don't know what 
libraries should do these days to stay active. I mean, certainly you can read anything online. I mean, if a book is important, I usually purchase it, even if I then just pass it along. So I'm not a library user, but uh, certainly an old institution that could use some new creative ideas. Well, here's another good story. Here's a 103-year-old woman who still helps run the pie shop she opened nearly 70 years ago. Now, this is a real current story. In the tiny town of Monroe, Virginia, something sweet has been stirring for nearly 70 years. Woodruff's Cafe and Pie Shop first opened in 1952, and its founder, now 103-year-old Mary Woodruff, still helps run the business. She opened the shop with her husband, James, at a time when there were very few black-owned businesses in the state and throughout the country. So in the 1950s, they constructed the building, lived in the upstairs apartment while opening the cafe in a space below. She says, we were happy. We were just getting ready to do something together. We did. And I've been blessed. They told that story to Al Roker, the newsman, while he visited the shop. Now her daughter, Angela, runs the shop. And... Um, says, you know, it wasn't always good. I mean, now business is booming. They've created kind of a legacy business that's really booming. But it wasn't always that way. They had a lot of obstacles through the years, bricks thrown through the window, so on, you know, the the horrible kind of things done to blacks back in our history, unfortunately. But uh, they were trying to build a business on their own, raise their kids there. Now one of the daughters runs that. Tried for a while to serve sandwiches and other things, but it actually slowed business and it went back to their core product, that being pies. So so now, on a good day, they sell around 75 pies, all homemade. And that's what they do. The daughter says, pie is love. When you bite into a piece of pie, it just makes you feel loved. Well, I would certainly agree with that. He dubbed their, uh, Al Roker dubbed their place the Picasso of pie. Woodruff's pies also come with a special touch in every box. Each one is hand-stamped with Psalms 34.8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's awesome. Gal, I love that story. Well, here's one too. Former inmates start forestry company after prison. It was just three years ago that Lawrence Gemelio and uh, Joshua Melendez were inmates at the Central New Mexico Correctional Facility. While there, the two were part of a state-run forestry program that helped inmates learn about fire prevention and firefighting. So at times, they were among those on the front lines of a blaze. Now, in the time since their release, these two guys have started their own forestry company in hopes of both assisting the state with forest fires and proving to the public that there's life beyond incarceration. I love this story. These guys have now hired a bunch of other people, all former inmates as well. And they've got a very profitable business. They can thin out forest, help stop forest fires. You know, the kind of work that they do, uh, certainly reasonable kind of approach. And and also what we find very, very common for people who have been in prison. Now, if you think about it, usually those inmates did something pretty creative to make them land up, end up where they were in prison. What if we could get them to use that creativity in a positive way rather than a self-destructive way? That's really all we're talking about. So instead of using all those innovative ideas to do something that's illegal, hey, make it legal. 
but do something. Now, the thing is, because of how many of them are wired, they're not really good candidates to come out and just go get a you know, $10, $12 an hour job. I mean, it's very discouraging. They know there's more. Some of them have been used to making you know, incredible amounts of money by doing things that are illegal before they went in prison. And so now they're stuck in a job where they're going to make, you know, three, 400 bucks a week. Eh, not going to keep their curiosity very long. So we do that a lot. I mean, Joanne and I encourage those who have been in prison to look for creative entrepreneurial kind of ideas, ideas they can take and run with those. And we got lots and lots of really cool stories about that. Well, fun stuff. All right, let's move on into some questions here for today. This comes from John, and John's the one that said, what's wrong with me? I have two businesses that are pretty successful, but I'm not excited about those anymore. I wake up every morning looking at available jobs. I see business opportunities everywhere. Why can't I just be satisfied with what I have? Well, John, what a cool place to be in, frankly. I I think a lot of people would like to be in that position where they see opportunities. I mean, what amazes me and when people don't, don't see opportunities anywhere, I mean, they can go all day long and not have a new idea. I think, how is that possible? I mean, I can't walk down and get the mail at the end of the lane without having two or three new ideas when I come back. Here's what I would encourage you to do, John. I'd encourage you to embrace your change, your desire for change, challenge, variety, I mean, even if we look at the DISC personality profile, we know that somebody who's high I usually is going to be somebody who enjoys a lot of change. If you're an Enneagram 7, it's likely to be true. So knowing yourself, but then embrace what you know about yourself. Stop trying to make yourself something that you're not. You know, don't try to find the one thing. I see people frustrating themselves with this, trying to find the one thing, you know, you're going to do for the next 35 years. That's not realistic. That's not realistic in the workplace today. And it's not realistic approach for most people either. Know that in the, the, with the changes going on, things are going to change really, really clearly. Now, yes, I would like for you to be clear about what you want your life to look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I mean, I'm actually working on 25 years from now. What I want my life to look like. And I'm doing things to put in place those things I want to uh, want to actually have happen that far out. But when it comes to work, golly, I can't predict what the workplace is going to be like five years from now, let alone 25. So I want to have a clear plan for what I want my work to look like for the next two or three years. And I'd encourage you, John, to do the same. Just decide what you're going to do for the next two or three years. But then in that period of time, be thinking out again in two or three years. And that may change. I mean, there have been times when I've had businesses that I've kept too long. Not that there was anything wrong with the business, but my enthusiasm disappeared, like you're describing. I should have moved on, even if the business was doing well. So if you recognize that's a trait about yourself, then just embrace it. Joanne, my wife, still calls me a three-year man. She knows that's about how long I'm good for with any particular idea. It's about three years. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's cars, houses, business ideas, whatever. About three years, I'm on to the next thing. Fortunately, that's not my approach when it comes to wives. I've had one wife for a very long time and happy to do that. But she keeps changing. I keep telling her that, you know, she's not the same woman she was. 30 years ago or 10 years ago or three years ago. She keeps changing. So that keeps our relationship alive. But golly, don't, don't beat yourself up. 
Don't think there's something wrong with you that you need to fix because you're not satisfied and you're looking for new opportunities. I approach the start of every single day and very much the same way, John. So join the crowd. All right, here's Archie. Archie's a long time, 48 days member, one of our biggest fans. And we're thrilled for his uh, his support and encouragement over the years. But Archie says, uh, Dan, my question is, as you know, Adam, who's his son, is a student at UT Knoxville, doing really well, by the way, in his freshman year. He's going to get a job this summer. He's an economics major. Do you think it would be a good idea? Will it help jumpstart his career if his summer job pertain to his major or does it matter that much this early on well the reality is i don't think it matters much he's a freshman economics i mean goodness he could change his major twice before he graduates so to try to lock into a job just because that's his major something that relates to the economics major in between his freshman and sophomore year i don't think it matters much at all I encourage him to do something that he really enjoys. I mean, if you're going to look in economics, then certainly that indicates, you know, a job at a bank or a financial institution or some government agency, you know, looking at positions that would somehow embrace being a financial analyst or a market research analyst, research associate. And certainly you could do those things. And if that's something that he really enjoys, then that's fine. But um, eh, it doesn't really matter much. So my encouragement, again, do something he enjoys. That could be, it could be mowing yards, painting houses, you're doing FBA fulfilled by Amazon, where you find some kind of product line and you find places to buy that, put it up for sale, make money doing that. I mean, you could go to work for Southwest. I mean, a lot of kids uh, spend their summers working for Southwest, a company here out of Nashville, where they go door to door selling books. Wow, what a great experience. Now, for one thing, you know, these kids often make eight, ten thousand bucks in a short period of time as well. Plus, the experience of selling, just learning how to sell, will do way more to add value to Adam's future than just having a job in a bank or a government agency. But beyond that, I mean, I'd take the opportunity in the summer to you know, work in an adventure park or as a bellhop at a hotel where you can get tips or you can, I can be a zip line guide. I saw a post this morning, zip line guide. They're taking applications and it's for the kitchen sanctuary in Alaska. I mean, how cool would that be? There, you can, you can research, you can actually Google cool summer jobs for you know college kids and you'll get tons of things that come up where you can, you know, travel with somebody in an RV or uh, get an opportunity to fly to San Francisco and drive a truck back. You know, there are so many things like that. Or you could do like um, Zach Freeman was a young guy here a few years ago and lived here just golly, just down the street from us. And he spent the summer in between his uh, first couple of years. Actually, it was a summer in between his uh, junior and senior high school years now that I think about it, but he spent the summer applying for scholarships. He accumulated $73,000 in funding for then his college years. Then he used another summer while he was in college to fully fund his master's degree. He just went after all the little scholarships out there, Rotary Club, you know, $1,000, you know, Kiwanis, 1500 bucks. 
you know, kids with blue eyes who have a Holstein cow, whatever, you know, all these strange kind of opportunities. He applied for those and he fully funded his college and master's degree you know, without ever going into debt at all. So there's certainly a lot of uh, creative ways there that you can use a summer to have fun, make money and grow personally without just adding more knowledge academically. Well, hey, just a quick note here. I love these kind of questions that come in week after week. Always an honor to open that magic mailbox and look at the questions. So if you got a question or a success story you want to share, just shoot that in to me at askdan at 48days.com. You know, last week I said, uh, let me know what kind of conferences you're going to and we'll have some 48 Days meetups. Had a lot of you Golly, Dr. David Powers, others said you're going to be going to different conferences. I'll keep looking at those with the geographic locations, and we'll announce some 48 Days meetups as we get close to that time. But again, if you got a question for the 48 Days radio show here, just shoot that in to askdan at 48days.com. Now, this comes from Michael, and Michael says, I currently work as a behavioral technician, ABA. For kids with autism, my ultimate dream is to become a professor of theology. However, that's a highly saturated field with no guarantee of income. Should I pursue a degree in theology? Or should I pursue becoming a master's in ABA to make money and later theology? Incidentally, ABA is Applied Behavior Analyst. So, Michael says, should I just stay in this, working with autistic kids, to make money, and then somehow later go into theology. Well, here's here's the deal. I, I did a little looking on this, Michael. The average annual salary for someone holding a master's of science degree in ABA, Applied Behavior Analyst, is $55,402. In the field of theology, salaries for associate professors average 59000 $593 annually. There's very, very little difference in those positions. I don't think this is a matter of monetary difference. Now, you, you may be implying that it's easier to find a job with your ABA focus, and that may be true. I really don't know what the job market is, but it's it's something very specific. We know there are a lot of kids who are struggling with you know, autism or Asperger's other kind of challenges where you would be a candidate to work in those environments. So there's certainly a lot of that. And yes, there's a whole lot of people out here with masters or PhDs in theology who are um, washing cars or, or serving hamburgers. Yeah, we know that nothing to diminish the value of that, but if you see it as a personal endeavor, then enjoy the process. But if you really see it as a career path and you want to make that the primary source of your income, then it is realistic to look at the fact that there's a whole lot of people with theology degrees who are not working in that field. However, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, since there's not a really quantifiable difference in terms of money that we can determine at this point, it's going to come down to follow your passion, follow what you really care most about. Now, when we see that there's a lot of people out there with degrees in theology who don't have teaching positions, even though they would like to have that. That's okay. Do something else. Be creative in what you do. 
as an author, me being an author, we know that 95% of authors in America never make more than $40,000 a year. Well, that would be pretty discouraging if I just assumed that that was going to be my fate as well. But I don't. I love to write. There's nothing I enjoy more than writing. So in looking at that, I need to be more creative about finding opportunities than just submitting a manuscript and then sitting by the mailbox waiting on royalty checks. That's not going to work. That's not going to work at all to live the kind of life that I want to live. So I have to do things that other authors aren't doing. In the same way, that's all you have to do. Look at all those people with degrees in theology who are, you know, twit on their thumbs waiting on a job to teach somewhere. Well, there's not that many positions out there. What else could you do with a degree in theology? Yeah, you could speak, you could coach, you could counsel, you could create a seminar, you could develop a course. I mean, you could go on and on and on. Just take it, but then do things other than just waiting for that prime position teaching at a university. That may never come. My, God, I got a my dear friend here locally, Dr. Lee Camp, who is professor of religion and theology religion and ethics, I think it is, at Lipscomb University right here in Nashville. Well, he, you know, we, we talked several years ago, and he enjoyed teaching, but he knew that wasn't going to provide financially in a way that he really wanted to. So we talked about a couple other ideas. He's got some great ideas. He founded the show now called The Tokens Show, where they put on four or five shows a year. They are phenomenal. He has celebrities, musicians, authors, theologians that are there. It's like a variety show. It's like the old Garrison Keeler Prairie Home Companion shows, but they're marvelous that he's done. He's also just released a brand new book that I just got yesterday, but he's doing some things that most professors of theology do not do. You can check him out. Maybe be encouraging to you. Anyway, yeah, I love your juxtaposition, but with what you've laid out, I say follow your passion, but then be creative in how you make that work. All right, Wendy says, it began in elementary school. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, and now I'm 50, and I still don't. I've been a mom and will soon have a really empty nest. Kids are going to be hundreds and thousands of miles away. I don't have any career background, no overwhelming hobbies or passions. And looking at the 48-day schedule, as well as some of the upcoming questions, incoming questions, I have no basis to do or to provide answers. Where do I begin? How do I modify this approach to a throwback to the 50s mom? I'm also a bit of a dinosaur but I like not having a media presence. Is there hope in the 21st century for an old soul? I'm looking for something job career like the ones you described in 48 days. That's fulfilling to me personally. Well, golly, Wendy, I, I think this is a, a fun place to start for you. Let me say that you're 50, uh, going to soon be empty nester. And you feel like you're starting with a blank slate. What what a cool opportunity. But here's the deal. You're not starting with a blank slate. You have so much more advantage for this process than somebody who's 16 years old, 17 years old. You've got a wealth of life experience behind you that you can look at. Surely in that, there are clues for this. 
when you say you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, I mean, that's, that's, that's fine. Not a problem at all as a starting point, but you have clues. When you look back at the time from let's say the last 30 years, are you kidding me? 30 years from the time you were 20 till now you're 50. Surely you can identify things in there that you really did enjoy. Wow. It's when I'm doing this, that I really come alive, that I feel like I'm in my zone of genius. All the years my kids were growing up, wow, I coordinated the carpooling for the whole neighborhood. Or I oversaw the fundraising project where we raised more money than has ever been done for the school before. I mean, you start to look at things. It doesn't have to be jobs you had, but things that you did that you found fulfilling. May have been at church. You know, maybe you taught a class at Sunday, a Sunday school class. So look at those things that are real components of the life you've lived over the last 30 years. And even prior to that, the 50 years you've lived, see those markers, see those things that are recurring themes and things that you're drawn to. When you say you have no hobbies or passions, can there be now, you may not have had time to devote to those things. I know when Joanne, my wife turned 50, became an empty nester, our youngest, our daughter, Ashley, went off to college. And Joanne felt like, wow, she, she felt like she just got fired from a job. It's like, what am I supposed to do now? I've been a mom for all these years. Well, in doing some introspection and just kind of exploring, she discovered a class that was going to happen, drawing from the right side of the brain, a drawing class at the rec center here didn't involve a lot of big commitment or a, a lot of expense. She went and absolutely fell in love with the process of drawing, doing art. Well, that's evolved now over time to where she teaches other women how to do that. She's a magnificent artist, has beautiful pieces all over her house and in lots of other homes around this part of the country as well, where people have purchased her pieces. There's got to be something like that that you can see the spark of, that you can see the little seed of, Wendy, in what you're doing to help give you some guidance on this. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 88 years old. The process is the same. You start by clarifying your skills and abilities, your personality traits, your values, dreams, and passions, and then look for opportunities that blend those things you know about yourself. Those are very unique things that you know about yourself. What are those unique skills and abilities? It may be decorating or cooking or keeping the landscaping looking beautiful. Or again, you know, something you did with your kids, your personality traits. The next one, are you real outgoing, extroverted? Everything's a party or are you more introverted and shy? No good or bad, right or wrong. Just evaluate that and embrace what you know about yourself. And then those things, as I described, a process for identifying passions you've had along the way. Dreams. You might have had dreams when you were a little girl that have never been fulfilled. Go back and revisit those. Allow yourself to think, what, what if? What if we brought that to life? What would that look like? So those, that's the process. Enjoy this transition point in your life that you've been given this window of opportunity to take a fresh look at who you are, where you're going. Wow, what a great opportunity. We ought to be going through this process. All of us ought to join you in going through that, Wendy. No matter what our ages are, it's a healthy process to go through at any given point. And sometimes people never do it. They get 
on one track and all of a sudden, you know, 35 years have gone by, they get that gold watch and don't know what they are, what they're going to do at that point. There's a whole lot of people asking themselves the same questions you are when they're not only 50, but when they're 60 and 70, because they somehow at that point come to a change point in life, whether unexpected or unwelcomed or whatever, but they come to a change point and then they're asking the same kind of questions. So see it as a healthy process. Enjoy the process as you go through it yourself. Now this comes from Fola Shade. I probably haven't said the name right, but it looks like Fola Shade, um, lady in um, Lagos, Nigeria. All right, now that puts some cultural perspective on this question. I understand that. She says, I used to work in the banking sector, but I started feeling dissatisfied. I left the job to go back to IT as I have a background in computer science. But now it's been five months and I've only clinched one interview that didn't lead to an offer. Please assist as I have gotten a certification in IT during this period and also had my internship in IT role. Information technology. All right. If you're not getting multiple job offers in this economy, now I can't speak as an expert in Nigeria, but I certainly know here in the States, unemployment is at a historic low. Companies are begging for people to come on board and be involved. And I suspect it's somewhat the same in Nigeria. If you're not getting multiple job offers in this economy, look at the sequence and see where the breakdown is occurring. So the sequence, as I lay out in 48 Days to the Work You Love, is to do your resume. Make sure the resume is not just a chronological picture of what you've done. Now, in your case, you say you used to work in the banking sector. So if you show that all your work history is in banking, and now you're going out and looking for jobs in IT, that may not work for you. So you may want to change the resume so that it is more of a functional resume rather than a straight chronological resume where is a functional resume, you describe the things you've done in IT all during your work career. So it shows you as having experience and proficiency and competence in those areas that you want to continue. So again, the resume is to be a sales brochure for where you want to go, not a chronological snapshot of where you've been. So that's important. So the resume, then the next thing is the job search, identifying 30 to 40 organizations that you know you'd like to be a part of, whether you know they could use somebody like you. And when it comes to IT, I mean, my goodness, that includes 99% of the businesses out there. So there's really no lack, no shortage. You put yourself in the driver's seat. You don't have to wait for companies that are advertising. You simply reach out to those 30, 40 companies. And in 48 days, I have laid out a process where you send an introduction letter, just simply kind of introducing yourself because you want the repetition where your name keeps coming up over and over and over again. So the introduction letter, then a few days later, cover letter and resume. A few days later, phone follow-up or some kind of personal contact follow-up. That's the job search. So we start with the resume, then the job search, and that job search then surely shouldn't lead to interviews. Again, companies are looking for good people who are clear about their most valuable and marketable skills. So then it goes to interviews and then to offers. So we can look at the sequence and see where it's breaking down. If you're sending out your resume and you're not getting any interviews, then we can look at your resume. Something about your resume is not exciting people. It's not whetting their appetite. So we look at that. If you sent out your resume and you had 10 
interviews instantly, we know your resume is working fine. If you had 10 interviews and you got no job offers, wow, we know it's not in your resume. It's in what are you doing in the interview that's not working to your favor? So I can look there. You know, if you interviewed and uh, you, know, you feel like you're not being offered adequate income, then you, need, you can learn how to negotiate and you can learn how to increase what the first offer is, even after they make you a job offer. So we can go right through that. And in your case, you just have to look at that. If you've only gotten one interview, then I would simply start with your resume and say, what is there in here that is not exciting? I mean, again, it's a sales brochure. I mean, if you get something in the mail and it talks about a new Chevy that they want you to come in and see, you know, it's not going to say, you know, this car is reliable. It gets 22 miles per gallon and we promise to change the oil, you know, every three months for you. I mean, that's not going to get you excited. They're going to talk about the smell of that new leather interior, the sound of the radio, the fact that you're going to be you know, driving down the road to see your grandkids. I mean, they, they use all kinds of emotional language in there to get you excited about that. You want to tell a story. So your, your resume, you, you want to tell a story with your resume because you want them to be excited about the opportunity to see you and talk about the next step. Well, I hope that's helpful. Gal, I love the questions. Hey, just let's do a quick summary here and we'll wrap things up. So the summary is this, based on some of the things we, we've described today. Embrace your desire for change, challenge, and variety. If you recognize that's really a core part of who you are. Don't try to talk yourself into a boring life if, if in fact that's true for you. Next point, follow your passion and then create an opportunity that's different from the norm. Don't worry about your passion leading to what looks like a very ordinary, mediocre job position. Just be creative about what you're going to do in that opportunity. And then as we just talked about, it doesn't matter where you start, whether you're 18 or 88, the process is the same. Look at your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. That's going to help you create a clear focus and direction. And again, if you're not getting multiple job offers in this economy and look at the sequence, see where there's something breaking down because you should be getting multiple job offers. If you're in a job search right now, it doesn't matter if you're in Nigeria or where you are, anybody listening, if you're in a job search, you ought to be getting multiple job offers. It's that critical for companies who are searching for good people. You, if you understand this process, you ought to be getting multiple job offers. Well, a resource again, just a reminder is Acres of Diamonds. So you may recognize the opportunities right under your nose and you've just been overlooking it. 48days.com slash acres. And then we've got our free masterclass coming up where if you are still trying to find your sweet spot, and a lot of you are, and I love the process. This is an ongoing process. It's not just one time, it's an ongoing process. But we got that free masterclass coming up March 12th, either at one o'clock or seven o'clock. It's free. Just go to 48days.com slash webinar to register for that. Get your spot there. We'll get you some advanced materials and let you know when the time is getting a little closer for that. And that is how to find your sweet spot, the place where talent, passion, and money meet for ultimate success. 
I'm really excited about spending that time. Every time I approach that topic again, I have new ideas. I'll share some of my, I'll share some of my old car stories on how to recognize where real passion is because I just used the car example a minute ago, but you know, if you drive a Chevy that gets you from point A to point B, I mean, that's fine. It's utilitarian, but if you're not excited about it, golly, think about having a Mercedes or a Lexus or a Lamborghini or Ferrari. Yeah. You know, passion changes the whole picture. And if you don't have passion in what you're doing every day, you'll burn out. Lots of people are letting us know they're doing okay in terms of financially and responsibly providing for the family, but something's missing. And usually it's passion. It's not talent. It's not money that are missing. Usually the league of the stool, those people are talking about, I just don't care about what I'm doing. It's boring. Passion. So we're going to be talking about that. Again, free masterclass, 48days.com slash webinar. Join us there. Hey, thanks for being part of our ongoing audience here. If you get a chance, go over to rate and review the 48 Days podcast. That always helps encourage other people, lets them know how to find it as well. We appreciate that for all the kind comments that people leave there. Again, shoot your questions in to askdan at 48days.com. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for being part of this growing community where we know without a shadow of a doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.